0: Hey podcast listeners! Before we start this episode, I'd like to tell you about another podcast you might enjoy listening to, well, after you finish this one. What's the real science behind all the popular UFO claims on television? What's the true history behind today's growing beliefs in Atlantis, the Flat Earth Theory, and ancient aliens? And when you take away the media hype, what do scientists really say about COVID-19 and global warming? Since 2006, the Skeptoid podcast and its host, Brian Dunning, have been revealing the true science, true history, and true facts behind more than 800 of our most popular urban legends and mysteries. Each episode of Skeptoid looks at a famous story you know and reveals the part of it you haven't heard. Check out episodes covering mysteries such as popular ghost stories, famous UFO cases, alternative science claims, cryptids and urban legends, and conspiracy theories. Find out why the truth behind these popular legends is even more interesting. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, just search for Skeptoid, that's S-K-E-P-T-O-I-D, or visit Skeptoid.com for full transcriptions of the entire catalogue. And now, on with our show.
1: In the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. In the kingdom of the paranoid, the one-eyed man is a spy. This is Paranoid Planet. I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I did not have
0: sexual relations with that woman our enemies are innovative and resourceful
1: and so are we they never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people and neither do we
0: i don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs
1: gay i'm not going to give you a question you are fake news
0: silent breed is people Welcome to episode 7.4 of Paranoid Planet. I am your host, Michel-Jacques Gagné, recording this program from a restricted autopsy room in Bethesda Naval Hospital, while a team of nervous pathologists is trying to pull bullets out of President Kennedy's body. Or at least, I think it's Kennedy's body.
1: As you can see, molten metal penetrated the spinal cavity and fused the vertebra at multiple points, including the lamina and the roof of the spinal column. We won't know the extent of the damage until we get in there, so I suggest we cut off these mechanical arms, slice up the harness, and if need be, consider a laminectomy with posterior spinal fusion from C7-T1 to T12. We're ready, Doctor. Anybody here take shop class? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Or maybe it was just Dr. Octopus, (laughs) wrong room.
1: What kind of a peace do we seek? Not merely peace for Americans, peace for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died some 38 minutes ago. Here is a suspect. 24-year-old Lee H. Oswald. I'm just, I'm
0: just a, a p- the president. Who actually fired the shots that killed Kennedy? Was there a conspiracy? In the years since the Warren Report, there is now so much more that we know.
1: Conspiracy theories are now conspiracy facts. The Warren Commission successfully deceived the public. Alan Dulles' appointment to the Warren Commission is one of the great frauds of American history. Documents are withheld by the FBI, the CIA. Intelligence agencies did all the wrong things if they were looking for
0: conspiracy. We will go back and piece together new facts and evidence that shed more light on what really happened here that day.
1: The Commission believed that Hit Kennedy, hit Carly. Well, I don't believe it. It is indeed a magic bullet.
0: Oswald was a figure of interest for four years before the assassination. They were reading his mother's mail. His
1: first year in office, Kennedy made many enemies. He vows he's going to shatter the CIA into a 1,000 pieces.
0: Have you ever committed any act of violence?
1: He was intimately involved in the cover-up. Once you kill a president on the streets of American city, that sends a signal. The rights of every man are diminished when the rights of one man are threatened. If America really wants a democratic society, then we should get to the bottom of this traumatic crime that continues to reverberate throughout American history. This nation will not be fully free. Until all its citizens are free.
0: What you've just heard was a trailer for a recent film or documentary, however you see it, by Oliver Stone called JFK Revisited. It was released in 2021 in two formats, a short one called JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass and a longer four-episode version called JFK Destiny Betrayed. In both of these versions, Oliver Stone reprises many of the arguments that he made in the film JFK, only this time in a non-fiction format with several talking heads. Not much has evolved or changed in Oliver Stone's view of the Kennedy assassination, that it was a massive conspiracy, largely run by the CIA, possibly by organized crime as well. Uh, Some things have changed. For instance, references to the so-called magic bullet Uh, have been softened. You don't see a zigzagging bullet in this version, but you find a fresh new list of antagonists, including President Kennedy's own physician, Admiral Berkeley, who was present throughout the autopsy and acted as a liaison between the Kennedy family and the autopsy doctors. Now the reason I play this is because today's guest, Paul Blow, actually plays a role in this film. Uh, He is a teacher from Quebec City, uh, we are colleagues, though we had never met before we did this interview. We have acquaintances, uh, and we teach on separate campuses. However, Paul was gracious enough to come onto the show. He also seemed like uh, a fairly balanced individual and, and reasonable, uh, open-minded enough to have a conversation with someone who may not agree with his particular position. So I thank Paul very much for this because I did reach out to other conspiracy believers, conspiracy researchers, conspiracy theorists, whatever term you want to use, including Josiah Thompson, who recently uh, put out a book called Last Second in Dallas, who unfortunately turned me down, as well as Rex Bradford, uh, who runs an internet archive called the Mary Farrell Foundation. Uh, Both of these men I have contacted over email, but prefer not to be on the podcast for whatever reason. I also decided not to interview individuals who I think might be hostile. I may not name them, but you can find them online if you look for reviews for my book. Uh, Generally, they're the ones who give a one-star review or who are quite critical because I really want to have an intelligent conversation. I wasn't really interested in having a slapping contest. Uh, I should also mention that uh, Jefferson Morley, who also is featured in this video, will appear in a later episode of Paranoid Planet. So stay tuned for that, because Morley is actually, I guess, one of the leading voices in the community of people who believe a conspiracy has happened. So today's episode will be with Paul Blow. Uh, Paul Blow was featured in the video, particularly in talking about other possible assassination attempts, either that failed or never were fully developed against President Kennedy, and that's largely the reason why uh, Oliver Stone reached out to him through a mutual friend that both of them have called Jim DiEugenio. So uh, we will be mentioning Oliver Stone, Jim DiEugenio, many other authors, in fact, in this episode. So you might find it turns into a little bit of a name salad, so I apologize for that. But over the next few episodes, we will be talking to other believers and skeptics of the Kennedy assassination so that we can get in-depth into the evidence, or false evidence, or uh, poor logic, or strong arguments proving or disproving the Kennedy assassination. Anyways, you know where I stand, but this show is not about propagandizing a particular point of view, but rather into learning from the most knowledgeable people what in fact happened. Perhaps I should start by defining Three terms that refer to government investigations into the Kennedy assassination, this will come up in today's episode. It will come up in uh, subsequent episodes as well. Uh, so the first is the Warren commission. Uh, we've mentioned this before. It was the subject of of some of our c- conversations in previous episodes. The Warren Commission was the blue ribbon panel of elected and non elected state officials named by President Johnson just a few weeks after the Kennedy assassination, to investigate the crime. Of course, there was no culprit to put on trial, Lee Harvey Oswald being dead. And so the commission was chosen because it would centralize all of the investigation into one single body, uh, led by Chief Justice Earl Warren, who was actually a large supporter of Kennedy and an advocate for civil rights. So the choice of Earl Warren was not unusual. Uh, Some of the other people on the panel are criticized for being uh, biased, uh, particularly former CIA director Alan Dulles, but I believe there are good reasons for that that we will get into in subsequent episodes. So the Warren Commission concluded in its very large 888-page report in 1964 that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone and that Jack Ruby, who killed him, was a disgruntled Dallas businessman Who uh, was outraged at the crime and decided to retaliate uh, with no help from police or the mafia or any other body? Um, Of course, a lot of speculation grew over the years about whether or not the Warren Commission's report was accurate. Many people wrote books, interviews, television programs criticizing the Warren Commission's findings. And eventually, this culminated in the 1977. House Select Committee on Assassinations, the HSCA. And that actually took three years to publish its final report in 1979. So we'll be talking about the HSCA. Now, the HSCA pleased nobody because it concluded, based on some acoustic evidence that was uncovered very late in their investigation, that there may have been a second shooter on the grassy knoll, though they never identified who that was, nor whether this person actually hit anything Uh, and whether this person was related in any way to the mafia or to government uh, or directly to Lee Harvey Oswald or whatnot. So he concluded that there was a probable conspiracy but never really explained who that might have been and also exonerated the FBI, the CIA, the Secret Service, the military, and organized crime as organizations. So they believed that there was a small group of individuals who helped Lee Oswald, but that Lee Oswald definitely was guilty. So as you can see, you can cherry-pick whatever you want from this commission's findings and find what you want, but in the end, it didn't really please anybody, those who believed Oswald acted alone, and those who believed that there was a massive conspiracy. And then finally, there was a third major investigation, although it did not have to uh, seek a conclusion. Rather, its purpose was to release all of the files that were still classified pertaining to the Kennedy assassination. And how do you interpret that? What exactly pertains to the Kennedy assassination? This was hotly debated for many years, uh, but this is called the Assassination Records Review Board, or the ARRB, and that, I believe, occurred between 1993 and 1998 when the final report was written. Now, the ARRB came out with some very interesting uh, documents, namely one on uh, whether the Zapruder film is authentic or not. And I have a whole chapter dedicated to that in my book, uh, but that's not the issue of of today's program. So the Warren Commission, the HSCA, and the ARRB are probably three groups that uh, you want to remember who they are to understand this and subsequent interviews. Now regarding Paul Blow, uh, I wanted to make sure that our conversation flowed. I did not want to get into an acrimonious debate. Obviously, there were many points in which I took exception once in a while I mentioned them uh during our discussion but but I prefer to let paul uh speak his views and present his own uh arguments uh surprisingly he didn't bring up those that I thought we would talk about, and I would want to identify three major elements in paul blow's writings or that make have come up in this uh in this interview and uh, and also to offer you uh a very brief assessment, but also to let you know that I will be posting on the website, in the reading room section, uh, my response to some of these uh, these claims. So the first is that Pablo presents uh, 11 arguments in one of his writings that he calls chokeholds, and we will be discussing some of them in this interview. Uh, I'm going to list them very quickly here. I will not respond to them, however, if you do go to the website, Or if you listen to today's essay on fallacious logic, you might identify some of the reasons why I don't believe these chokeholds are necessarily as strong as as Paul believes they are. So here are Paul Blow's 11 chokeholds. I will put a link to these on the website as well so you can go and read the full article. Number one, the debunking of the magic bullet theory. Number two, what Dealey Plaza and Parkland Hospital witnesses saw, as well as those in Bethesda and what the Zapruder film showed. Number three, the impersonation and attempted framing of Oswald in Mexico City a few weeks before the assassination. Number four, the Sylvia Odio incident. Number five, Oswald's relationship with David Ferry, Clay Shaw, Guy Bannister, Cuban exiles and intelligence. Number six, Jack Ruby's connections, comportment, and later statements. Number seven, the CIA's handling of Oswald's files. Number eight, CIA agent David Atlee Phillips' connection to Oswald, post assassination propaganda, and sheep dipping. Number nine, the timely lack of security in a hostile environment during a threatening period. Number ten, the equally terrible investigation effort and investigation sabotage that followed. And number 11, the strong consensus of post-Warren Commission investigations and investigators, or insiders, that the Warren Commission version of events is full of holes. A second topic that we will discuss is about two FBI agents called Sybert and O'Neill who were present during Kennedy's autopsy, but not for all of it, and that's probably significant. They were not there at the very end when many of the photographs were taken, uh, they were also not aware until later on that the tracheotomy scar in Kennedy's neck actually hid another bullet hole that was only found out later on when uh the uh pathologist at Bethesda Hospital in Washington contacted the doctors at the em- of the emergency room in Dallas at Parkland Hospital and discovered that there had been a wound there before they performed a tracheotomy on Kennedy's neck. So what's controversial about these two FBI agents is that being witnesses of the autopsy would probably make them more authoritative than many other people. And in some ways they are. They made a list in their report, called the FD-302 report, about what happened, what they heard, what they saw during the autopsy, including a list of all the people who were present. And among those people, none of the shady characters discussed in Oliver Stone films, like, like General Curtis LeMay, for example, uh, is said to be present in that room. Uh, What Sybert and O'Neill did do, however, is identify three things that later on is at odds with what the official autopsy report says. One of them is they claim that Dr. Humes, upon first looking at Kennedy's body, said that some surgery had been performed on the corpse's head, um, as well as the tracheotomy, which, of course, we know uh, was a fact. Another claim was that Dr. Hume said that the bullet wound in the back, in Kennedy's back, was a downward angle of 45 to 60 degrees, which does not say in the official autopsy report. And a third thing that Sibbert said, and I read this in his ARRB deposition some 30-some years later, 35 or so years later, is uh, he identified a wound that was pretty much the same size as the one claimed in the autopsy report, but he moves it further to the back of Kennedy's head. Now, interestingly enough, I do not know that uh, he had uh, close access to Kennedy's head, and if he was not there during the photographs, that means Kennedy's head was also matted with gore, and the back of the head was not as cleaned uh, as after they brushed off all of the brain matter, in order to take pictures of the back of the scalp. So those are three things that have led many people who believe in a conspiracy to believe that Sibbert and O'Neill identified uh, contradictions in what would later be the autopsy report, and these contradictions are believed, the ones from O'Neill and Sibbert, rather than those from the official report. Of course, I think it should be stated that these FBI agents Uh, were not experts in ballistics or in wound ballistics. They were not pathologists. They were at a a larger distance from the body. And they also were not present uh, at the very end of the autopsy when the doctors uh, may have changed their minds or talked to each other and realized that actually there was no surgery done on the head. A very famous pathologist who does believe in a conspiracy uh, is Cyril Wecht. And Cyril Wecht actually said that this this whole theory is bunk. It actually goes back to a conspiracy theorist called David Lifton, who pointed out these discrepancies to Sibbert back in 1966, and went on to write a very ambitious book claiming that some faking of the body was done in mid-flight between Dallas and Washington, which has been uh, disproven by many, uh, many authors. So yes, Sibbert and O'Neill made some references that appear to be Um, in opposition to what is said in the official report, but none of these claims necessarily prove there was a conspiracy. They could have been misunderstandings that could have been solved had they contacted the pathologists and talked to them before they actually submitted the report uh, a few days later. It is true, as Paul Blow will point out, that Officer Sibbert, and possibly O'Neill, I did not read his deposition, believed that the single bullet theory, or magic bullet theory, or whatever we, you want to call it, uh, is not true. But at the same time, Sibbert was not privy to all of the information, uh, nor was he a ballistics expert. He largely came to this belief by reading conspiracy-related books, particularly that of David Lifton, which had quoted him Uh, at length, and with whom he had had some communications. Uh, Finally, the third thing that comes up in our conversation, though, we didn't talk about it at length, which surprised me because it's something that Pablo has written about quite a bit. It's the fact that he believes most textbooks, history textbooks, I guess American history textbooks, that talk about the Kennedy assassination fail to discuss the alternative explanation that this may have been the fruit of a massive conspiracy. Now, it does strike me as odd that he would identify textbooks as being the problem. Uh, Most textbooks, I mean, I am a historian by training. I've used a lot of textbooks. Uh, Most survey texts don't spend a lot of time trying to analyze particular events. They, They more or less report what the consensus of experts, so what other historians are writing in more... Uh, lengthier monographs. So when it comes to the Kennedy assassination, I'm not surprised that most textbooks will identify Lee Oswald as the sole killer of Kennedy. After all, that was the conclusion of the Warren Commission. It was very close to the conclusion of the HSCA, and the ARRB wasn't able to substantiate the claim that there was a shoot on the grassy knoll. So for the most part, including the books of many other historians, people like Robert Dalek, or forensic experts like Larry Sturdivan, who has actually involved testing the Manliker Karkno for the Warren Commission back in nineteen sixty three uh, these these are the conclusions of those experts, so naturally, a historian who's not an expert on the Kennedy assassination would just go with what the experts appear to be saying now, this seems to me like attacking low lying fruit uh, Paul in his articles doesn't seem to be addressing what um expert historians you know people who are Presidential historians or historians of assassinations, what they've concluded. And by and large, they tend to agree that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was the sole culprit. So, Paul and other authors often request that textbooks would be written more of an open mind for alternative explanations. But of course, that can lead to a slippery slope. Now, a slippery slope can be a fallacy, but it also can be a justified reason for considering the possible impact. Of decisions. And that means once we open the, the door to writing, say, textbooks that will identify the possibility of a conspiracy in the Kennedy assassination, means that uh, the Holocaust and many other events in history now have to be second guessed, and the pool of experts becomes so broad that now we ex- accept pretty much any explanation that is popular rather than is valid and proven. So there you go. That's just a very quick, unscripted, anticipatory response uh, to, uh, to my conversation with Pablo, uh, which is coming up. But we will be having uh, many conversations upcoming with various uh, defenders or attackers of the idea that there is a conspiracy behind Kennedy's death. Chapter 1. Fallacious and Salacious A fallacy is a statement, or set of statements, that contains misleading logic. While fallacies are sometimes used deliberately to deceive, for example in advertising, they are usually committed unintentionally by careless communicators. Fallacies typically do one of three things. A. They manipulate people's feelings. B. They distract the audience from the issue being discussed or c they draw a facile connection using vague or deceptive language in other words a fallacy is a cheap shortcut used to win arguments under false pretexts conspiracy researchers often resort to fallacious logic because conspiracy theories are speculative by nature requiring their authors to justify their beliefs with many unproven assumptions The strong emotions that make such theories compelling can also skew one's ability to reason clearly. Since conspiracy claims habitually try to explain unresolved mysteries or expose secret plots conducted by powerful groups, conspiracists easily fall prey to paranoia and other types of emotional reasoning that prevent them from being objective. The most common conspiracist trap is to engage in circular reasoning which is to begin an argument with the assumption that one's conclusion is true before sufficient evidence has been collected to support it. This leads researchers to cherry-pick only the evidence that favors their conclusion and to ignore any evidence that challenges it. Circular reasoning also leads conspiracists to fill the gaps in the evidence record with rhetorical questions that make their assumptions seem self-evident. Reading only books or websites that suggest a theory is true without being compelled to consider alternate viewpoints will also prevent you from learning about evidence that might change your mind. Circular reasoning may even make you believe in a hoax. Many examples exist of intentional forgeries that were accepted as true by thousands of willing believers. Think of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, for instance, or the Majestic Twelve Documents purporting the existence of extraterrestrial entities. Kennedy assassination buffs are no less vulnerable. When the Warren Commission concluded, for instance, that Jack Ruby's shooting of Lee Oswald was the work of one man, many refused to accept it, and went looking for any shred of circumstantial evidence, however lurid or unlikely, that might link Ruby to the mob or CIA. Others simply cannot accept that the most powerful man in the world, a president in whom they had vested their hopes as a symbol of change, could be gunned down at high noon by an insignificant loner. As William Manchester noted, the story lacked a certain moral and narrative proportionality, a scenario in which a great crime against a great man should have been committed by an equally great criminal, not, as he quotes, a wretched waif like Lee Oswald. At least that is what typically happens in novels and movies. And art greatly influences our perception of real-life events. It leads us to look for similar patterns in history which is usually far more chaotic. Fallacies come in two basic types, formal and informal. Formal fallacies are logical faults in the structure of the argument. Such an argument could contain only proven facts and still be wrong, because these facts, or what philosophers call premises, do not support the conclusion. Consider this simple argument. If A, then B, B, therefore A there's a rule there, if A then B, the existence of B does not necessarily entail A. So that if I say, if it rains, the sidewalk will be wet. The sidewalk is wet, therefore it rained, this is a formal fallacy. The facts used here may be true, but they do not prove the conclusion. Because, if it rains, the sidewalk will be wet, does not entail that every time the sidewalk is wet, that there was rain before. There could have been a fire hose. There could have been a dog peeing in the street. Consider this argument. Number one, Oswald was either on the sixth floor of the Texas School Depository, or he was not on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. This is an either-or. Either one can be true, but they could not both be true. If the second premise says no one saw Oswald on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository, they cannot conclude that Oswald did not shoot Kennedy or that he wasn't there because not seeing Oswald does not entail that he was or wasn't on the sixth floor. He could have been hiding, for example. So the central problem with formal fallacies is not that they make factual mistakes. Although they are sometimes imprecise, the premises of these arguments are arguably true. The main problem with these arguments, rather, is that they are not logically consistent. Now, informal fallacies are individual statements that are logically misleading or too vague to produce a specific conclusion. Most fallacies that appear in JFK conspiracy theories are of this type. There are dozens of kinds of informal fallacies. Many are easy to spot with a little training and practice. Much the same way an experienced bird watcher can identify a species by its song, color, or shape, you can also teach yourself to sniff out misleading nonsense. All it takes is awareness and concentration. By teaching yourself to be on the lookout for fallacies, you can avoid being ensnared by these reasoning traps. Students of conspiracy theories should study logic alongside their favorite conspiracy books. And here are a few examples of informal fallacies, and you can find many other sources of commonly used informal fallacies on websites like the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy, for which I will offer a link. So here are some of the main ones. An appeal to emotion means using language or symbols that manipulate the audience to accept a claim based on their feelings of pity, or fear, or anger, or patriotism. An appeal to an unqualified authority is to claim that someone's viewpoint is true by virtue of their status or expertise in a different domain than the one that we are discussing. A false dilemma is to offer a forced choice between two or more options when other possible alternatives exist. Guilt by association is to ascribe blame to someone on the basis that they have some suspicious connection to another suspect. Moving the goalposts is to reject a piece of evidence by demanding it to meet an unnecessarily high criterion of legitimacy. And finally, a slippery slope is to assume that a possible action will inevitably lead to an unavoidable and undesired chain of events. For more information on informal fallacies, and to see some examples as well, see our website and our related links. Chapter 2 Teacher, teacher, can you teach me? Aren't you going to take attendance? Attendance? Oh, (laughs) yes. Today I'm speaking with Paul Blow, who teaches in the P.W. Sims Business Program at St. Lawrence College in Quebec City. Uh, We are officially colleagues of the same regional college, though we never met face-to-face except now today on Zoom, since we teach in separate campuses and in uh, different cities. Paul holds an MBA from McGill University. He owned and ran a marketing communications agency for 25 years. He has written several articles on the Kennedy assassination, which can be found on the Kennedys and King website, uh, possibly elsewhere, but that's where I found them, uh, which is run by conspiracy researcher Jim Eugenio. These include articles on Lee Harvey Oswald, on other presumed attempts on Kennedy's life, and on how history textbooks treat or in his opinion, failed to address arguments that JFK was murdered as a result of a broad domestic conspiracy. Paul Blow has also been a guest of the Black Op Radio podcast, whose host, Leno Sanik, was a guest on this program during our first season. Uh, that was episode 2.2, for anyone who's interested. Mr. Blow also appeared in Oliver Stone's recent documentary film, JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. And he took part uh, recently in a public talk at the 2022 Quebec City Film Festival alongside Oliver Stone and Jim D. Eugenio. So, Paul, can I call you Paul? For sure. Okay, so Paul, Paul, Mr. Blow, Professor Blow, I don't know what titles. uh, Welcome to Paranoid Planet.
1: Thank you very, uh, very much, Michel. Uh, Can I just make one point about... uh... Uh, Jim Di Eugenio uh just to point out that while he he you know writes about or covers conspiracies they're specialized on the political assassinations of the 60s okay so you know he's very specialized in uh, the murders of Martin Luther King JFK Robert Kennedy and Malcolm X uh just not to give the impression that he you know he he's involved with the Sasquatch or Uh, No, no, that's right. No, no, I I know you know that, but just for your audience. Yeah, people um, have their
0: different fields. And, you know, uh, there are some people like Alex Jones or David Icke who don't get a lot of respect from the media. And there are others. You know, I often say JFK is more like a cold case. Uh, There are obviously a large spectrum of beliefs. And not everybody agrees on the evidence. But I don't think anybody that I've interviewed uh, about this topic here on the show or some of your colleagues believe in space aliens or laser beams or any kind of those explanations. Uh, clearly we are not necessarily on the same side of the table here, but my yeah. purpose with both this podcast and especially our episode is I want to encourage people to, to have more conversations across the, uh, you know, what do you call yeah, well, yeah, that's right. And, and I find that too often in the political yeah. sphere or when talking about issues that revolve around a conspiracy belief, uh, there is a tendency to shout at each other. So I thought, since we are already colleagues, we have some uh, colleagues in common.
1: <laughs> we should come out of this. And there's like 350 kilometers between. That's the two right. Of that's
0: people. right. But that's okay. I, what? In other yeah. words, uh, I did invite some other people to be on the show, and and they didn't want to be. Uh, and I thought that was too bad because I wasn't wanting to get into a a shouting match with them. Uh, no, but some names that. like you might know, uh, Josiah Thompson, and I exchanged a few emails. Uh I think I asked one of the people uh what's his name um uh he runs the archive at the Mary Farrell Foundation. Um, oh yeah yeah uh, Rex Bradford. Rex yeah. So Rex had actually helped me find some pictures for my book but he didn't want to be on the podcast. So thank you very much for coming. Uh I might I might get other people as well to present a a conspiracy uh viewpoint. I don't know if you like the expression conspiracy theory but it's hard for me to find another term than a, a conspiracy theory for a claim that a conspiracy happened. So I don't want you to think that that's pejorative in any way. No, I don't use either. the term as a as a personal attack or anything.
1: No, I, and I find it refreshing that you're actually saying that it's a cold case, you know, in, in other words, uh, I, just to, 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 which means to me, if, correct me if I'm wrong, that there 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 it's not fully resolved in the the minds of many people and i think that's the way people should look at it too so
0: so let me let me cut straight to the chase before we actually get to know you uh tell me a little bit about how you became a friend to oliver stone <laughs>
1: friend yeah or a I, colleague
0: well, but clearly you knew him enough to to end up on his documentary so that's got to say something. well i'd say
1: after his visit here in quebec city where we spent five wonderful days last june uh, we got to know one another more personally and uh but um basically i um i began writing articles about the jfk assassination around the 50th anniversary uh nearly 10 years ago and uh, the first article i wrote uh i i think i made it as far as i know i was the first person to do a, a study on how history books uh related the kennedy assassination so i uh, i covered you know over 20 of the most popular history books used in north america and then i actually interviewed the authors and asked them you know what because most of them lean towards uh, you know the Warren Commission depiction of Oswald alone not uh killed uh, Kennedy and, and you know you don't have much more than a paragraph or two on the, the the episode so I I then asked them what their sources were and and you know what did they base themselves on and you know most of them were uh mentioning the Warren Commission and so on and so forth so that that uh, study uh got an awful lot of interest and was published uh at Kennedy's and King by Jim Di Eugenio and that was the first of a series of now I'm probably up to 14 13 or 14 articles some are two or three parters that I, I've written for him what I didn't know at the time is that uh, Jim was a close collaborator to Oliver Stone uh, Oliver Stone uh, sees him as one of his go-to people when it go- goes into JFK history, you know, when he gets into JFK history questions. And um, anyway, uh, you know, the, the movie JFK, which came out in the early 1990s, um, stimulated the the start of the ARB. And then the ARB released, uh, as you know, millions of documents. Yeah, can I since- just
0: point out that's the assassination records review board. Uh, that was actually enacted by President George Bush, Sr., uh, and then senior I think it happened on his, during Clinton yeah. administration.
1: Yeah. Sr., I would say, kind of reluctantly on his way out, he kind of knew it was going to have to go through, uh, whether it was through him or Clinton. But anyway, you're right. And uh, so uh, millions of documents were declassified and... Uh, The idea uh, was bandied about that, you know, it might be interesting to say what's been learned since the JFK movie. So anyway, uh, that's where I think Oliver and Jim uh, got into this idea of doing the the documentary uh, JFK Revisited. So about three years ago, uh, I I came back from my cottage and I was uh, sitting having a beer (laughs) and uh here I am reading uh, my emails and I get this invitation say hey you know we'd like you to come down to Washington so I can interview you uh we're doing a documentary and uh you know and uh it was signed Oliver Stone so uh you know when I saw Oliver Stone I said what the heck is this you know like uh he was uh sort of an idol of mine uh I love his movies there whether it be platoon or or uh born on the 4th of July so I get that and I say, oh wow that's something and I guess pretty quickly that it was through uh through Jim that I got that invitation I went down uh and then of course uh, I was interviewed uh for 50 minutes and it, he he wanted to know more about uh, an article I had written about prior plots to uh, assassinate uh, JFK and and uh, and asked me a lot of questions on that. And we spoke for about 50 minutes, though, my, um, you know, I, I'm in the documentary for about a total of five or six minutes. Uh, but the point is, is that after I was interviewed, I went, I said, I had time to kill. So I went to visit Washington. And anyway, I come back, I'm in the hospitality room alone. And who pops in uh, but Oliver Stone? So I say, geez. Why don't i try something so i go up to him and i thank him for having been in the uh the uh, you know the doc or having been interviewed i didn't know there and then that i was going to make the cut but i say you know mr stone when it comes time to promote the documentary you you'd be well received in quebec city <laughs> and he says oh yeah okay you know he says could it be montreal though he was more familiar with montreal because he had made a movie north of montreal and I said,
0: well, you, Montreal is
1: nice, but they
0: don't have a Quebec film festival in Montreal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah so, anyway, I anyway, do. I pulled, a... and anyway, we, so we got a lot of uh, backing from the Quebec City Film Festival and Quebec City Tourism. Next thing you know, things are delayed because of COVID. And anyway, uh, make a long story short, he, he accepted to come last year. So, that's how I got to, uh, you know, got into the documentary and got to know Oliver Stone he'll answer my emails every now and then but you know he's a busy guy <laughs> he's not the he's not the type of person i could just grab the phone and call i think tomorrow but uh we developed i think um, you know a nice relationship he brought his wonderful wife and we were on a committee to receive him so over and above the uh the events that that, that took place there was some socializing too so that's how uh the story of uh me and. Oliver Stone uh you know uh, got started and and uh matured so
0: okay that's good so you would be more friends with Jim Eugenio than with Stone it was more uh a friendship of a friendship in a sense
1: oh yeah uh Jim and I have uh, uh I've written a, a whole pile of articles uh for him and I would say he's become a friend but I mean you know he's more uh you know Jim has uh 30 or 40 authors that contribute to Kennedy's and King and and among them you have a lot of the participants in the Oliver Stone documentary you have people like uh, uh Newman uh David Talbot uh Larry Hancock uh Doug Horn who uh who uh work closely with Jim and trust him um he's one of the Pearsons you see I, I think that in the JFK community you have specialists like some people will devote their whole area of research on the officer Tippett murder you have others that just focus on medical evidence uh Jim is one of the people I would say that has uh the best global uh, view so he 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 and uh, Lano Sanek with uh Black Op radio are the ones who gave me my preliminary exposure. You know, it culminated with me going down to Kappa this year and being invited by Kappa, which is uh, the committee, oh boy, what's the on uh, political assassinations anyway. No, Citizens Against Political Assassinations. I forget what the... Does
0: that mean there's a group that's a citizens for political assassinations? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, the thing is, is they hold conferences every year in Dallas around the time of the assassination. And uh, this year I was invited down and ma- met quite a few of the uh, the people down there.
0: To your knowledge, um, is there much dialogue between uh, Mr. Eugenio or other people in, in, in your community with people who are skeptics. You know, you and I are having a conversation here, and we probably start with different assumptions of what happened to Kennedy. Uh, once I brought this up to Leno Sanek that he had uh, John McAdams on his podcast once, on his radio program, but very rarely is there conversation between, I would say, believers and skeptics, you know, people who are on different sides of the fence. Uh, ha- Do you know if you or Mr. Eugenio? Looks forward to exchanging ideas with people who disagree. Yeah, well,
1: uh, Jim will, uh, you know, has done a number of debates over the years. Uh, He's debated McAdams and he's offered to debate, uh, even as recently, uh, to debate uh, the documentary. That's what I know. I can't speak for him and why a debate may not have occurred or may have occurred. I would say this is that the there's not many you know like I was even you know hesitant to uh, come on your show and it's not because uh I I don't uh, respect uh, you know your opinion or anything I you know I haven't looked into your research but it's just that many of us have moved beyond. Uh, you know the the idea of let's try and explain that there's a conspiracy. They're, they're, we're more into the idea now of saying, okay, well, what likely happened? Okay, you know, so, so you're so not
0: you don't believe that there's necessarily something to learn from discussing with people who may have looked at the same evidence but come to mm. a different conclusion. No,
1: I I will say this for myself. I read a lot of John McAdams uh, stuff. I've read uh, a lot. You know, I I've heard uh, Gerald Posner and i've tried to ask myself questions on certain valid points that you know they'll bring up like uh example um, oswald removing his ring the day before uh he went you know november 22nd uh, and, and listening to certain things uh and then asking myself the question for a long time i was asking myself the question i, I was convinced there was a conspiracy but did Oswald actually shoot from the sixth floor? You know, was he part of the conspiracy? Is he innocent? Uh, so, you know, there, there's an awful lot. And I, I I often ask myself the question when I bring up a point and say, okay, well, what did the uh, the naysayers, or I don't want to call them naysayers, or those who have a contrary, how have they tried to debunk this or, or that? Then you can also see exchanges on the forums. The biggest one being the education forum, I think, is where you have uh skeptics fewer skeptics i would say yeah. but skeptics well, i know mcadams
0: Adams was pretty involved with that
1: Adams, there's a few more now uh still but uh i forget their names and sometimes they don't use their own names but uh but you know on both sides but uh so no i think um and then the, then the other thing too that uh for sure that uh, that that uh Jim and his team will do is they'll read the books that come out uh and uh, and and read what's in there yeah James
0: the uh, Eugenio gave me a review but i i i don't think he read the whole book i got the impression that he read very selectively uh and and kind of as as mark lane might have said rushed to judgment but that was that was the view that i saw um did you i uh, i i
1: i know that there's less tolerance uh now because you know uh uh I think the big books that, that that demanded an awful lot of attention were uh, Case Closed a lot of McAdams work uh, and uh Bugliosi's yes. work and you Those know I like think
0: triumvirate.
1: yeah yeah you know if I think when you you and then there's Max Holland and but then you know but the thing is is I think that there's sort of a feeling okay you know I let's move beyond that and uh, and that so uh I, I that I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I think uh, now um, sharing the same podium. It look, I was recently someone I don't even know, and I forget his name, but I was called a crank, you know, like, uh, by you know for for uh, I don't know, I I guess someone saw something, and when it gets into ad hominem's. I, I that's I where understand. you know I don't I just don't have time for that you know like I I think that sometimes you get the feeling wait a minute do you even have a chance to change an opinion here you know do you do you have a do you have a chance uh, is there another agenda going on there what why why is someone you know so so hell bent on you know so and I think some people got in to say well you know when you go beyond this and that, you can see that there's some, some support in, you know, trying to get the book out or trying to to do things. So there's not always a lot of trust, I think, in some of the people on both sides, with which th- their intentions, like, you know, the, the so called conspiracy theorists are accused of, oh, you know, they want to get fame out of this, they want to sell books, they want to do that, you know, and then on the other side they'll say well it's quite obvious that they've been given a mission oh sorry about that there's
0: a beast crawling across the camera oh no that's a cat and not something larger
1: no it's a cat but it's a cat (laughs) that just won't learn not to get on the keyboard and I don't know if you have them but
0: yeah but they might find their way across the room much faster
1: yeah so so that that I I I guess my take on it but I try not to get involved It's very rare that I you know, as I say, this is uh, I thought long and hard before accepting to come on your show. But I mean, our exchanges in the email seem very cordial. And uh, so I'm happy to be here and uh, I'll always entertain. Look, in my family, I have five brothers and a sister. Actually, one passed away uh, recently, Uh, but I have two. That are skeptics, and you know, I'm talking about <clears throat> one case. You know, uh, uh, you know, some people who've succeeded very well in their professional careers and very good judgment and all that, and and in their cases, it's just that they're sick, like I am, of hearing conspiracy theories left, right, and center. I I I don't like in general these. You know, every time there's a Sandy Hook or something like that, somebody comes out and says there's a conspiracy. Leave me alone. I hate being, you know, put in that category. So I have some brothers who are sick of it, that sort of thing. And they don't also like the idea of hearing that the system, you know, that we're living in is rigged or or, or that type of thing. But I'll tell you. After a while, when they started saying, hey, wait, look, Paul is really researching this stuff. You know, he's really reading uh, books, materials and coming up with facts. And they are now asking questions. And some of them attended the Oliver Stone meeting. And, you know, they've come to think, say, well, look, I don't know the nature of the conspiracy. But I have some very serious questions about this official story you know that 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 the warren commission put forth so you know that's the type of movement that that i've seen and so uh, the and then in the teacher community i had a teacher who's passed away but i shared an office with him boy was he challenging me every day on this stuff he was a physics teacher and you know he'd get into the uh the zapruder film analysis and all that so uh, so but when the discussion is in good faith, I have no problem discussing with anyone and uh uh you know and I have questions sometimes I'll challenge people in the uh you know, who believe in a conspiracy and I say, wait a minute, don't 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 sell me this thing about prayer man or this or, or badge man or you know uh, and other stuff there that some people come in and say hey you know this is a fact
0: yeah i think on some points you and i would have agreed i think you brought up that there are there are a lot of false leads you mentioned like madeline brown the supposed a mistress to uh to president johnson uh various shooter confessions people who claim that the limo driver turned and shot kennedy i mean there's a lot of uh both serious and not so serious uh ways of looking at the kennedy assassination and I, I think a lot of it has to do with the assumptions that we start with. But at least you've 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 not believed that all theories are acceptable. There's got to be some no, sort of a, no. a, a, a weeding out mechanism.
1: No, and there's a lot of stuff where you have to honestly say, I don't know. You have to say, I don't know. Uh, you know, like the worst thing you can tell your student, right, is come up with a false theory and say and insist upon it. And then rather than telling the student who asks you a question, you have to be able to sometimes say, look, uh, I don't have the answer to that. I'm not sure. Here's what I think. Could I be wrong? Maybe. If you people take on that approach, uh, you know, but, you know, I have to say, though, that, that uh, th- there's no way someone will, that I th- will be brought to believe that the uh, Warren Commission few of things is the version people should take away and uh, and I have my reasons for that and it's not being hard-headed it's I think it's now a matter of record if I would ask you Michel, uh, Michelle what would be your main uh first of all what what's your main position on the assassination and what would you consider to be your main source to say well this is like your body of of information and I i'll tell you what i think mine uh, what what's influenced me if you i because i never really I, I think we talked a long time are you like uh convinced that oswald alone from the six foot floor uh fired three shots that caused the, the damage and the injuries and that he is alone not uh you know eliminated kennedy and then was uh, and then he himself was eliminated by uh, a second flakier and lone nut guy 48 hours is that is that the the, the position you're going by because it w- might be good that we 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 just established a benchmark
0: I'm actually less and less open because I spent about 15 years, um, probably like you, you know, I, I didn't know Oliver Stone, but I watched his movie quite often. It, it led me to read a number of books. Jim Eugenio, I, I never read his book, though I, I heard some interviews by him. I was a big fan of Fletcher Prouty for a while uh, and Jim Garrison and some of the sources that perhaps you, you believe are authoritative. Uh, over time, my trust in those sources began to uh, to fritter. Uh, As I read about them and I read more authors, for me, I think there are some pretty compelling arguments to say that Jim Garrison uh, actually uh, botched the investigation and that in many ways he was looking for scapegoats. I think Patricia uh, Lambert wrote a book called uh, False Witness that uh, uh, gives a lot of information about the context there. Uh, whether or not we agree with that. I I thought that book was a pretty strong case against the Garrison position. But I mean, a lot of it goes back to even what was written at the time of Garrison. So reading uh, some of the sources that were critiquing Garrison in the 1960s. um, So there was a lot of things about Garrison that kind of troubled me. And I think there are a number of conspiracy believers or conspiracy theorists who also came to reject uh, a lot of Garrison's own work. Uh, I think uh, Harold Weisberg was one of them, David Lifton I think never really got into uh, Garrison's own claims. So I think that's what kind of happened with me is I remained believing that there was a conspiracy but I kind of came to reject the idea that Garrison was on the right track. And then little by little I read the writings of various people who were experts in ballistics. Uh, there was a famous documentary in 2013 by Nova, called Cold Case JFK, and I remember the the Hague uh, father and son, Luke and Mike Hague, uh, building a fairly com- compelling argument that a Manliker Carcano from the '64, the book depository, could in fact and uh, most likely did all of the damage that was seen by uh, by the evidence because of the way that the bullet was shaped and the way that it tumbled and hit various people. So over time, I would say that. I became less and less confident in the Oliver Stone version of the assassination, and I became more and more confident that Lee Harvey Oswald probably did this alone, and a lot of it had to do also with studying his personal life, and and so uh, I think little by little I came to believe that, you know what, Lee Oswald and Jack Ruby were not that different than people like, say, the Unabomber, or... um. Uh, Timothy McVeigh. Although Timothy McVeigh was not acting alone, he essentially did the, the final stages of, of the Oklahoma bombing alone. Uh, and there are a lot of people like that. A lot of high school shooters and things share a lot of similarities uh, with these kind of individuals. Uh, where I would disagree is where you use the expression angry lone nut. Uh, I don't think that Lee Oswald was crazy. I think uh, his his politics led him to, uh, to take a, a move that was quite drastic, Uh, but that he felt was necessary, uh, both for his admiration of the Rosenbergs. And in essence, I think he predated his time. Had he been around five, six, seven years later, he would have been part of the counterculture uh, that was anti-Vietnam War, that had uh, maybe supported uh, uh, Castro, which I think he did, uh, and kind of seen in national liberation and in Marxism-Leninism, the sort of the path to the future. And and so in the end, I, I believe, and again, it's your interview, but you're asking me, uh, I believe that the counterculture had a lot to do to make the conspiracy beliefs popular because the failures of the counterculture, the death of King, the death of Bobby Kennedy, the death of John Kennedy, were seen together as possibly one large conspiracy, including the Vietnam War, that might help to explain why the counterculture failed and why the United States took that turn with Nixon. Although uh, reading, again, Kennedy biographies, I came to the belief that Kennedy was far more conservative than many people have made him out to be, uh, in some ways more than Nixon. Uh, Not in all ways, but there were ways in which Kennedy was much more conservative than both Johnson and Nixon. So I would say that as an historian, I had to go back and double-check the sources, because I had only been listening to one side of the argument, and I felt uh, shortchanged. And, and as time went on, I felt that a lot of historians like Robert Dalek uh, were much closer to getting the facts right about Kennedy than, say, films like Oliver Stone's JFK. I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm trying to. Oh, it does. Uh,
1: it does. Uh, it's interesting. I think we can say that we're on opposite sides. Oh, of the definitely. Fence, yeah, which I know is, that. Uh, <laughs> because uh, one thing I tried to do at one point was get away from the <laughs> independent authors. So what I tried to do is actually look at, and I wrote an article about this and is let's take uh, the official story you know, from the Warren Commission point of view, and, and correct me where I'm wrong, but what they'll, uh, what, what they'll say is that on the 22nd, uh, Oswald is driven into work uh, you know with a colleague, a guy called Fraser he's carrying uh what he describes as curtain rods right
0: well a bag a longish bag that he allegedly said contained curtain rods yeah
1: and that the the, the Warren Commission speculates that at one point he up on the sixth floor uh reassembled uh, a rifle that they showed that it could actually be done with a dime then uh from uh, from there He fired three shots in 5.6 seconds, about. Uh,
0: That's been challenged more recently. Max Holland says 11, but uh, that was the minimum time, according to the Warren Commission. So not necessarily the time it took, but the minimum time available uh, for the shooting to happen.
1: Okay. So what I I have there, I'd have to recheck it, is uh, I have, I think, 5.6 Uh, using the Zapruder film sort of as a clock, but anyway, let's, and, and then, uh, you know, he, he uh, then does an escape, he goes towards, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, he he goes towards Oakville, and then uh, he, you know, he kills uh, an officer, Tippett. And then he's picked up at the Texas School Book, uh, not the Texas the, School, uh, but Texas, Texas Theater, Theater yeah. brought in about some two hours after uh, the shots were fired. And then he's questioned for 48 hours. And there, unfortunately, is no stenographer or uh, present or, or uh, taping, uh, any uh, tape of the conversations. So we do get glimpses of him here and there and during press conferences where we can hear from him. And then uh, 48 hours after the assassination, Jack Ruby, who uh, the, the Warren Commission, you know, he's a, a uh, he owns a strip joint and a few clubs and uh, he comes down and uh, he manages to make his way into the basement where Oswald is about to be transferred shoots Oswald and in short order Oswald passes away and then uh you know of course Oswald at that time is the most important witness there is right because there's going to be a trial that's where he can explain all his weird behavior about the fair play for Cuba committee and all that but we'll never get to hear from him after that and then of course Jack Ruby tries to get off on some sort of uh you know temporary insanity he's found guilty he he spends time in jail uh he there's going to be a retrial but before he reaches the retrial he dies of uh, galloping cancer and then he he uh, after making certain statements uh pass away uh let me ask you a question have you ever fired a bolt action rifle
0: uh no, I don't fire rifles. I stay away from guns as much as I can, and and there's a personal decision for that because uh I know the mother of the uh, Montreal Polytechnic shooter, uh so I've uh, mm. I've had enough time mm. with her uh to know that I don't want to go near any firearms. I have some friends who shoot, uh but uh not me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway, I just, uh, and I hear you went to Dallas, so I assume yep. you visited yep, Daily Plaza and all that, and that. Okay, so I've been there too, and I, I went up to the school book to Here's what I, I, I'll say, is that I, I used to, my my grandfather was a shooting expert. Uh, he was Swiss, one of the best shots in Canada in the 70s, and he, he gave me uh, target practice lessons. I've never hunted, but... Uh, I did do target practice with bolt action rifle, and every week we'd go in. You know, what we'd have to do. We'd have to recite the rifle. We'd have to recite it because someone else may have manipulated it during the week. And and the way you would do that is you would do groupings. So you you shoot groupings, and you say, "Oh, okay. Well, this one's upright the group." So we we then we then adjust it so it could be sighted. And then, so when I say, wait, he assembled a Mannlicher Carcano, which isn't described as the world's best rifle. It was a, The
0: Italians used it for 50 years. So my guess is it was good enough for them.
1: Yeah, they didn't do so.
0: <laughs> the, fin- the Finns also, and they know they fought the Russians. So uh, I-, I would say it was probably a, pretty good rifle for the time based on a particular need and whatever money they they spent on it it was a mauser but without the semi-automatic element to it
1: well i don't know i mean it it is a ten dollar rifle that he bought but anyway look we can we can uh, debate that
0: i don't think price necessarily points to quality the the point
1: is is that the point is is that you know he gets his mannaker carcano and and now he reassembles it And he has to fire away three times without reciting it. Okay, so uh, that to me right there, and then he has to pull off three perfect, well, two perfect shots and a third one that hits a bystander in a very short amount of time. Now, uh, uh, I can see why there's a trend to want to increase the amount of time from 5.6, which was in the Warren Commission report to 11, because look, I fired it the simple amount of time it takes to uh you know recharge and regain your aim and by the way it's harder to regain aim with a scope than without assuming one. he
0: used the scope right so I that, mean he could use the iron sightings because it was not that far well, yeah
1: I, I know but 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 the, but then I mean then okay but then you're giving up precision right for maybe a bit faster time so anyway to me, to me, uh, anyway, and, and then you know, a number of witnesses said two shots came, one on top of uh, each other. Now that could be confusion, I agree, but it takes a minimum of two point six seconds to. Uh, uh, so I mean these these shots on a moving target, okay, it, and then you get one, and you know you you you're saying, well, you know, these people, uh, I have never seen, like I would shoot into straw. And I would never see a bullet that would break and broken that number of bones. We're talking about colonies, uh, Connolly's risk. Okay, just for your audience, what one of the bullets C three ninety nine? You see, because of the injuries that took place to Kennedy and Connolly, and the uh, fact that a bystander named James Tague was uh, slightly injured by by a bullet. The the Warren Commission had to explain three shots, right? Like so they they came and they said, Well, the headshot from the Zapruder film is one. The other shot that touched James Take and then missed the, the, the car altogether is two. So they said, now we have one bullet left to explain two wounds on uh, Kennedy and five on Connell. Five wounds on Connolly. So we have this CE399, which is supposed to be the bullet, and it's a pristine bullet.
0: By pristine, you mean that there was no damage to it whatsoever? It was
1: hardly damaged. It, it, it was hardly damaged.
0: Okay, but it was damaged, right? So pristine is like saying not pregnant, but... Quasi-pristine. Okay, so it was it was slightly damaged, let's
1: say. quasi Now, one of the people who did experimentation on this is they would shoot, I think it was 100 bullets they put through cadavers or goats or or whatnot and none of the bullets came out looking anything close to ce399 so this this bullet that is supposed to have broken a rib broken a large wrist bone and there's other damage in the car by the way because there's there's damage to some chrome and all that so so they, they they had to come up with this this bullet that somehow would have entered Kennedy and done weird angles and then there's a delayed reaction by uh, Connolly because he isn't reacting when you see Kennedy being struck in the throat so 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 just on its own I would encourage your audience to go see the Zapruder film and to really look at it and then you get all these tentative explanations about why did Kennedy the headshot send his head violently backwards back to the right
0: back into the left you mean yeah back
1: to the left here right
0: <laughs> <laughs> i mean oliver stone had that phrase repeated so many times it's almost engraved on my yeah
1: <laughs> no but but when okay. when your audience will look at that and you say oh, okay wait a minute there's a cat again it's you. not what i'm trying to say sorry that's my friend again
0: he likes he that's likes podcasts
1: oh god he likes your show i think you're you're
0: I hope so. Maybe he'll read my book.
1: <laughs> Your ratings will go up if you have audience, that audience. <laughs> so look, this unlikely, in my opinion, unlikely event that takes place. So that is the starting point for me saying, okay, well, this is what I'm asked to believe, right? I'm asked to believe that he did this and it's, you know, it's it may be plausible, maybe, but on the surface, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the headshot and saying, I don't think it's quackery to have serious doubts. As a matter of fact, the first journalists when uh, when Oswald was killed, were saying, Oh, boy, this was done to seal his lips. That's the first first reaction by the press, saying, Boy, this is convenient, there's not going to be a trial, we're not going to find out what happened. So that's why for European journalists, for a lot of researchers on the surface, this whole thing smelled fishy. Now, Getting back to what I was going to say, Michelle, is what I tried to do after that is I I tried to say, okay, well, there was the Warren Commission investigation, right? But there were a number of others. And uh, if you count them, there's um, a total of six governmental investigations, five were federal, one was in Louisiana. And then you had a civil trial, a, a civil trial, uh, you know, the Liberty Lobby trial. Okay, so through all those investigations, there's a lot of raw data that isn't twisted around or isn't, you know, that, that comes out. So I asked myself, what do the reports actually say? And what do the, the government insiders? Now, by government insiders, I'm talking about legal counsel, commissioners investigators and i did a whole whole story repertoire of investigation after investigation and after investigation and this is what's interesting with this particular conspiracy is the people like uh, me jim and all that were an awful lot closer to what people like robert blakey richard sprague robert tannenbaum richard schweiker Gary Hart. These
0: were all members of the House Select Committee on Assassinations?
1: Oh, these are all the top, top members of the committees. And I can provide you with some quotes if, if they go and see my articles. I'll, I'll tell you, they, they talked like the BBC had a documentary. And, you know, when you hear Richard Schweiker, who uh, was the uh, co-chair of, uh, with Gary Hart on the church committee who uh, is interviewed and he says the Warren commission fell like a house of cards and it was designed to feed pablum to the American people and words to that effect. And then Gary Hart saying, Hey, you know what? When we wanted to interview the mobsters that were persons of interest in this whole affair. And he was talking about trafficante Giancana Nicoletti for the, uh, they wanted to interview them. But of course these people started turning up dead." When they were being, you know, uh, Johnny Rosselli, okay, turns up dead in Biscayne Bay or anywhere near Miami. In the, well, the
0: mafiosos are reputed for, for dying before they get old, right?
1: Yeah, and he says, you know, I always thought, this is on the 50th, Gary Hart, a senator, saying, I always thought that if we looked into who murdered these people, okay, we would find, uh, you know, we would find, uh, you know, some clear leads on to what may have happened. Then you go and and the, the farther along these these uh, in, so that's not you that's not Len Moosanic that's not me, and, and look I can throw in Doug Horn Jeremy Gump, Humes,
0: you know what Humes said? Doctor Humes, the pathologist who did the uh, the autopsy on Kennedy.
1: Yeah he, yeah 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 for the audience he, he's one of the three doctors who uh, you know were involved in the JFK autopsy. Well he says I don't believe that that pristine bullet. Caused all those injuries. he's actually on the record
0: of saying oh, what was that in the ARRB papers? oh I have it. I can send it to
1: you. It was something I think he told the ARB yeah or or he may have told the hSC I forget
0: well I mean but, there was the bullet that caused his head damage that's not the same as the the so-called pristine bullet
1: no he's referring to the uh, the c e three ninety nine uh in there I I, I I can find the exact quote for you uh Boswell actually drew an exit point for the ARB for the back of the head. And Boswell's another one for your audience who was part of the autopsy team. So I have about 80 to 100 statements, either in the reports or by the investigation insiders, that when you read them, what you see is a total impeachment of the Warren Commission. And, and, and let me finish on this one. is and
0: it's not. If I can just add a parenthesis there, uh, is there any chance by... by Using kind of arbitrary statements rather than looking at the report as a whole and their conclusions, that we might end up distorting some of their beliefs. I mean, I'm not sure what uh, what what document you're pointing out to, but for example, Dr. Humes might have said, "I don't believe that the bullet after it exited Kennedy's throat did all the damage to uh, to Governor Connolly," but then he didn't examine Connolly's body, right? So he could have that opinion without necessarily it pointing to another shooter in another direction
1: oh no in fairness if you're going to take a uh, hundred statements you know uh you're right to say context and uh and maybe other statements they've said but I, look uh, let me uh, i'll quote and i found one here that's really
0: or if you can give us the reference and people and i can go check it out and compare it to other
1: uh, i i i you know what we're we're i'm working right now on an update of that uh, work. It's going to take a little while, but I, I certainly share it with you. I have a preliminary version that goes back about eight years, but I built it up since because a lot more has come out, but it's called, I think, JFK and the Unforgivable. So if you go into Kennedy's and King and you look up, uh, uh, you know, Paul Blow as an author. Okay. Now let, here, I'll, I'll read one. And you you, you just tell me, uh, okay, just one. And keep in mind, this is a hundred. Now, Seabird and O'Neill, they're probably names that are familiar to you.
0: There are FBI agents who overlook, they actually witnessed part of the autopsy, but not the whole thing. They were there to obtain fragments of bullets that may have been extracted from Kennedy's body, right?
1: Yeah, well, they, they, you're right to say that they, they uh, were, they did see, you know, the uh, corpse and the, uh, and, and were there, but there, there were a lot of people in the, in the room, but uh, I don't, I can't Give them your minute-by-minute minute breakdown
0: of what they did, but... but they wrote a report, which kind of uh, is a different perspective than the one that is offered by uh, the autopsy report.
1: Well, let me just read you read you something. This, but but by the way, congratulations, because it proves that you have good knowledge of the. Well, thank you. you.
0: I wrote a five hundred-page book, so I should know some <laughs> yeah. of those things.
1: I think I may be reaching five hundred pages, but that would mean separate articles. Uh, yeah, here, uh, Michelle. let me read this. So he was interviewed, uh, Siebert, by, uh, by William Mattson Law. Okay, and it was it a was 2005 book called In the Eye of History, Disclosures in the JFK Assassination Medical Evidence. Okay, and this is Law asking Siebert a question. I've talked to Mr. O'Neill uh, quite a bit about this and asked him about his belief in the single bullet theory, and he said, absolutely not. It did not happen seabird well you could put me in the same category have you read Arlen inspector's latest book passion for truth law no i haven't i do not believe in the single bullet theory this is uh from all i've read this is law and how can how can now seabird interjects i told them before they asked me to come up for the arrb deposition i said well before i come up i want to tell you one thing I don't buy the single bullet theory. And they said, we don't expect you to. Law said, yes, and I've talked to Mr. O'Neill and he was adamant that it did not happen. Now, look, that's just one. And you, you might argue that, okay, I need perspective and I to see a doctor and all that. What they clearly said is they found that, by, that bullet to be way too low in the back for it to exit on the throat. Because keep in mind, that Oswald is firing from the sixth floor so you got an angle there going down and even the uh HSCA said well it had to come back up and then go back down again to hit Connolly where he was hit so uh, I am much more influenced by Seabird O'Neill than I am by you know some of these book writers and when I look at the actual report, I can read you from uh, the HSCA report conclusions where they they categorically state that the Warren Commission was deficient in not looking into their, if there was a possible conspiracy. And they they clearly say that the FBI and the CIA did a poor job in disclosing information to the Warren Commission. So that's what shapes my opinion. And I think that what's interesting about this particular um, conspiracy is that I don't feel I'm on the side of QAnon here. You
0: know, I think I honestly think that. Oh, you weren't you weren't in Washington on uh, January sixth, two thousand twenty-one.
1: No, but you want to hear a funny one? Uh, when I was in uh, in uh, on the twenty-second, I was at Daily Plaza, and there was a QAnon bunch. <laughs>
0: Oh, the ones who were waiting for uh, the return of JFK. Yeah,
1: they decided they would move the flowers on the street where where they were placed. You know where the headshot took place, and they decided they they alone decided that the shot didn't take place there. They they moved it down three hundred feet and said, and he started yelling, "The shot was over there. (laughs) The shot was over there." And anyway, I had a I was beside. Why would they do that?
0: Why did they want to change the location of the headshot?
1: I don't know. I I, I refuse okay. to try and get into yeah, their minds. I
0: guess if they're waiting for the second coming of uh of uh of the Lord John F Kennedy Almighty, then I guess uh they're they're free to change the rest of the story. I guess. No,
1: I know, and that, that that's such an embarrassment, you know. And then you know that's that's sad. But anyway. I, uh, I thought I'd throw in that little uh tidbit about Kirino.
0: yeah. So maybe maybe if we were on Dealey Plaza having an argument that day, we would both turn around and say, "Who are these crazies?" Right? We we might have something in common there.
1: Yeah. So so I I uh, wrote uh, something, and I got an awful lot of uh, good feedback on that. He said, you know, a lot of people say, you know what? I didn't realize that you know Lee J. Rankin.
0: He was the head counsel of the Warren Commission.
1: Okay. I'll name, some of these names. Uh, uh, Richard Sprague.
0: And Richard Sprague was the first lead counsel of the HSCA, but ended up quitting for differences of opinion with the... Uh,
1: yeah, of that. And then Robert Blakey comes in. And I look, I, I put in his statements in there. He thinks it's more of a mob-related conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. He but was he a friend of Bobby Kennedy's. He, pardon?
0: And he was, he was a friend of Bobby Kennedy's back in the uh, Department of Justice. And Blakey was convinced that the mafia had something uh, against the Kennedys, and I think he went on to write books about that. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. So and, I, and I should I quote point from that these out. Books, yeah.
1: Yeah. but the po- point is, is that that if you take, then you have the jury woman from the Liberty Lobby trial. Okay, just so people understand what that's about, is that um, somewhere around the HSCA. Uh, There's a guy called Victor Marchetti, who was part of the CIA, and uh, he made claims that the CIA was ready to, um, how could I put it, expose Frank Sturgis and E. Howard Hunt as possibly being involved in the assassination. This is what Victor Marchetti was saying. And uh, a magazine ran with that called Liberty Lobby. They got sued by E. Howard Hunt. They said, hey, you know, you're defaming me. E. Howard Hunt is a CIA agent. He said, you're defaming me. He wins. He wins, I think, a settlement for three to $500,000. Then Mark Lane comes in, uh, who who's a well-known lawyer at the time, and, uh, you know, goes on the appeal. And then on the appeal, it's reversed. And the jury woman, uh, because it was in front of a jury said you know what mr lane was asking us to accept was that somehow the cia was involved in the assassination of the kennedy but with, with what he presented okay uh, that's what we ended up being convinced of so i again you know if you take each one alone uh you know there you, you can argue here and there and that's to juries and juries are sometimes wrong and all that but i think what you you'll come out with when you read uh Statements, you know, even in the Warren Commission, I mean, we know that three of the commissioners—Cooper, Boggs, and Russell—didn't believe in the single bullet theory. We, we, they're on the record as saying that.
0: Yeah, but they were not ballistics experts, right? So no, but uh, I mean, we can't but... say that because they—they they didn't believe it was possible. Just like if we watch on TV people getting hit and going back into the left. That doesn't necessarily mean that's how a bullet and a body will react in real life.
1: Well, you know what Jesse Curry said?
0: The uh, chief of police at uh, Uh, Dallas. Dallas. Good.
1: Boy, I wish I had you. I know my facts. I know my facts. I I wish I had you as my student. I'd give you 100%. But are you good in marketing? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I hate hate everything
0: about money and business.
1: No, it's okay. But look, uh, uh, he said that just by the splatter, okay the splatter uh that and this is courage speaking and he's one of the insiders I quote he says there had to be a shot from the front now again uh you see splatter analysis is something that's really important there and Josiah Thompson who you wanted on your show you told me Mm -hmm. uh, presented something really interesting at Kappa and he was showing how uh brain splatter and blood splatter hit some of the officers on the motorbikes behind okay to the left and behind uh the limousine and uh, he he presented a pretty compelling argument that if you lined it up uh you know you you do get a shot from the grassy knoll Uh, again for your audience uh jfk except that
0: there was no blowout on that side of kennedy's head right there's no massive hole on the left rear part of the head where you would expect a bullet from the grassy knoll to have traversed his head, no? Uh, There's a cat again. Oh, boy, sorry about that. I think there's a conspiracy for your cat to be uh, interrupting our talk. He's uh,
1: jealous of the attention you're getting. I do have a door here that I can shut, so is it okay if I take 10 seconds? Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) This episode of Paranoid Planet is brought to you by an all-new murder mystery board game by has i'm bored me too where's dad he went to look for dry firewood
1: where in a cave
0: why don't you read a book
1: i read them all twice
0: the rain should let up soon
1: yeah you said that yesterday too and the day before that i hate camping
0: okay then let's play a game
1: we have to dad always makes up new rules
0: well dad's not here come on it'll be fun how about risk complicated. Life? Too long. Clue?
1: Way too predictable. Monopoly? No, I
0: hate Monopoly. Too capitalistic. No, then? You, you always cheat. cheat. I do not. Yeah, yes, you, you do. do. Well, then I don't. Wait, here's a new one. What is it? It's called Six Degrees of... Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. My friends put that at a party. They said it was okay, but not as cool as the Ouija. No, this one. Six Degrees of Lee Harvey Oswald, the creative conspiracy game for amateur researchers of all ages. Ooh, that sounds like fun.
1: I want to play that game! Does anybody die?
0: Apparently everyone does. I want to use the Mauser rifle. I want the umbrella gun! Okay, I'll use the Secret Service AR-15. Have you always wanted to act like a belligerent New Orleans district attorney, who's trying to convince the whole world he solved the greatest conspiracy of all time? Well now you can, with Hasbin's new family board game, Six Degrees of Lee Harvey Oswald. It's a little bit like Clue and Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, only you don't need to abide by any rules of science or logic. Even delusional paranoids can play.
1: Ooh, dad'll like that one.
0: I'll bet he will. Work your way up from optimistic law school graduate to a disgruntled attorney general of the United States, blaming, arresting, and prosecuting all of your political enemies on trumped-up charges, no pun intended, all the way up to the Oval Office in Washington. But be watchful for government moles, fake news propagandists, evil CIA henchmen, FBI booby traps and listening devices, and, of course, gay fascists, if you don't want to be sued for defamation. It's a rifle barrel of fun, guaranteed to turn any rainy afternoon into an adrenaline-pumping thrill ride. Hey kids, look! The sun's out, and the beach is open. Who wants to go snorkeling in the lake?
1: Forget the beach, Dad. I'm charging President Johnson with perjury.
0: Hey, that sounds like fun. Can I play? Yeah, you can use a colonial musket. Awesome! Scooch over. That's 6 Degrees of Lee Harvey Oswald, the new alternate reality role-playing game by Hasbin. Available in all fine left-wing political bookstores. And coming soon, 6 Degrees of Jeffrey Epstein. By Hasbin! Sorry about that. No problem. You gotta love cats.
1: He, you bring up a good point in, on exactly where the uh, occipital uh, pari- uh, parietal hole is, because what again, what Michelle is referring to here is the number of witnesses at Parkman and Summit Bethesda claim that there was an exit one, like the size of an egg, that that. Uh, well,
0: depending on where you put the rear of the head, right is it is it the right rear is it the rear rear uh, a lot of people disagree obviously the autopsy um x-rays don't suggest there was that kind of an exit hole but that's where people like David Mantic claim that the x-rays were were doctored uh but i think for i don't re- i don't remember of anybody claiming that there was any damage to the left side of kennedy's head so that's why to me uh, the the frontal shot uh makes less sense because Uh, the damage to the head, nor no injury to Mrs. Kennedy, or to the side of the car, uh, or to the or to the police officer in the back. Uh, So it seems to me that the evidence is lacking to show that that shot would happen. But you know, I I discuss some of that in my book. And and sometimes there are things that we can't be certain of, but the weight of probabilities makes it unlikely.
1: I agree. And I I wouldn't, you know, like, there's not you know if, they, if that were the only thing, right? I, it's not something I'd bring to the bank or whatever, but you know, you still get uh, you know, splatter, uh, you know, you hear these comments about the splatter by uh, Jesse Curry, and you hear the the uh, you know, uh, uh all this evidence, in, and there's a word that we the, the, that's really important, it's called consilience. And, the word consilience is important in this sense, and I'll try and explain it, is that you, you can take many things that on their own don't necessarily prove the conspiracy. But, you know, when you, you bunch them together and you say, well, you know, that these 10 things may have happened or, or that there's a 20% possibility that this happened or 30%. So what consilience does is it it says, well, look, there's a hell of a lot of stuff pointing in the same direction. And when you take these separate arguments, say, okay, well, if I throw this together, this together, this together, it all matches. But give me another thing there, because I I, I I, think uh, I'll send you or I'll send a link to the the article on what the insiders say. And, and that's being updated, and I'll, I'll keep you abreast of that. But okay, let me throw I'll, in I'll put
0: it on our, our uh, sources list for the episode. Yeah.
1: The other thing I've been doing lately is I was asking myself, what does the HSCA have to say about Jack Ruby? Okay, Jack Ruby, uh, you know, uh, what, when you read the Warren Commission, they really fluff off his Bob connections. But the HSCA analyzed his whole history. They looked at his uh, phone calls, and they they looked at... Uh, A whole bunch of things. And they concluded that his mob connections were not insignificant. Uh, There's a guy who wrote a book about him called Seth Cantor, who was a journalist who was on the motorcade. And Seth Cantor said, hey, you know what? I crossed Ruby uh, shortly after Kennedy was brought to Parkland Hospital. And then during the 48 hours that preceded... uh, oswald's assassination ruby was seen numbers of times i mean at least five or six times hanging around in the uh, dallas police department building and okay so what what they say is uh that, that let me uh the committee was disturbed, however, by Ruby's easy access to headquarters and his inconsistent accounts of his carrying a pistol. Okay, and then, uh, uh, you know, he said in, in the FBI interview on December 25th that he had a pistol on him, and then uh, later he he denied it, you know. Uh, but the point is, is what, what they said is They couldn't understand how the doors were unlocked and they believed that he did receive assistance to get to a point where he, okay, look, the committee, I'll I'll quote it exactly. The committee was troubled by the apparently unlocked doors along the stairway route and the removal of security guards from the area of the garage nearest the stairway shortly before the shooting. There is also evidence that the Dallas Police Department withheld relevant information from the Warren Commission and, and Ruby's entry to the scene of Oswald's transfer. They go on to say that he, they believe that he received assistance. So they analyzed his relations with Joseph Campisi, Alex Gruber, a guy called Dolan, uh, Patrick, okay. Uh, these are people that were so closely linked to uh, to uh, Santo Traficante, Sam Giancana, Pafa, Marcello. Okay, and major
0: mob bosses. And these major
1: are major mob bosses. Some of whom were uh, persons of interest in the attempt. The CIA deals to uh, assassinate Castro. Uh, talking mostly Trafficante, Roselli, and uh, Giancana. Uh, however when you looked at his relations and then they analyzed his phone calls okay his phone calls leading up to the assassination and they started isolating the suspicious phone calls and they were often to hitmen or uh or people involved and there's a the definitely uptrend in his uh his uh you know his weeks leading up and to really so uh, uh uh what's his name Blakey in his book he says that's why you know and that and an awful lot of other stuff because he said that uh when you looked at Ruby when he would go and hire strippers in New Orleans well that brought him right in Marcelo's realm because Marlo, Marcelo Marcello was the uh, mob lieutenant of the uh Louisiana area and the uh HSA was compelled to think that there was evidence, strong evidence, that there were meetings between Ruby and Trafficante in 1959 in Cuba.
0: In Cuba. But that's 59. That's before Kennedy even began running for president, I
1: think. No, I know, but I think I think what I'm trying to do is is to come and say that, you know, that who there was is Ruby, the the, the the Warren Commission persona of Ruby. Okay. Okay, even the HACA finds it, you know, very minimal and very So then you start saying, wait, the guy who eliminated Oswald, he's got all these really weird contacts with people of interest in the mafia in the Kennedy assassination. Of course, you can't conclude anything else. But, you know, if you look at it and and, and what I'm looking at, when I look at it, I can't see it as anything else as a hit to shut him up. And
0: But you don't think that you're kind of using the guilt by association fallacy. You're saying because this person has these friendships that this necessarily entailed that they were in cahoots together to kill at least uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Because my view is he might have friends in the mafia, but that doesn't mean that the mafia sent him to kill Oswald. I mean, he had friends in the police. He had friends in in the, the newspapers. That doesn't mean those people sent him to kill Oswald. So I have some friends who are Marxists. I have some friends who are uh evangelical Christians I have some friends who are gay none of those people necessarily compel me to start a podcast or something
1: no but if you combine the fact that he received assistance you know I'm by the way I'm quoting I'm quoting the HSCA here there I'm not not quoting putting words to the effect there again those are all spelled out though
0: the HSCA never concluded that the Mafia as an organization was involved right they said that
1: no they didn't but they said members
0: that, of the organized crime may have been involved
1: no but they said something to the uh, along the lines that the uh the warrant commission did not look into that and that they definitely saw opportunities for something to have maybe grown out of that for there okay so they 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 made strong hints towards that because they did conclude that there was a probable conspiracy The HSC, I think the word they use is uh, our conclusion is that there is a probable conspiracy.
0: Yeah, that that was their final report.
1: Now, you can argue you can argue that, okay, well, you know, if you eliminate the acoustic evidence and this and that. But I've looked into the reasons why they believe there's and this is comes from the, you know, people like Robert Blakey and others. It has so much more to do, you know, with not just acoustic evidence. But they go into witness evidence. They go into the backgrounds of Jack Ruby. Your audience shouldn't think Paul blows saying this. These are quotes.
0: Oh, definitely, you're repeating what many others, Jim Di Eugenio, Oliver Stone, and others have have said. I mean, your your ideas are part of, I think, what the community of JFK researchers have been alleging for for many decades.
1: Yeah, but it's also a community. Sorry, Michelle, I don't want to cut you off. But it's a community of investigation insiders. That's the the, the key thing. What I mean by investigation insiders is these are the people who question witnesses. These are the people who had subpoena power. These are the people who could go into executive sessions that got information that you and I couldn't get at the time. These are the people who had the, the, the opportunity to look over documents and timelines and And analyze phone calls. So, and they said most of them don't write books, most of them don't have a dog in the race. Uh, People will argue Paul Blow may have a dog in the race or Jim De Eugenio has a dog in the race. And Michel Gagné, well, you know, he wrote a book and he's not going to change his mind from his book. I'm not saying that.
0: I might. I've, I changed my mind and then I wrote the book about my change of mind. So <laughs> oh, okay. I've changed my mind on a lot of things, you know, Quebec politics, uh, many things.
1: No, no, but I mean, and that's good. As teachers, if you can't evolve with new information coming out and new stuff and new discussions, like again, my brothers, where they've evolved is to say, well, look, I certainly don't think it's cranky to think that there's a conspiracy. It smells, okay, and I certainly don't think, you know, I wouldn't put my faith in the Warren. Com- That's how far they've evolved. They haven't gone to the point of saying uh, David Atlee uh, Phillips or so and so must have done it, and the you know, and then the CIA did it, and this and that. Getting into okay, how do you go from I don't trust the Warren commission to thinking, you know, I think there's a conspiracy and then saying, here's what happened. The, here's what happened. That's where you get all the cranky stuff, right? Because. (laughs) Okay.
0: So you prefer not to make uh, a judgment on who ultimately wanted Kennedy dead. You'd prefer to just look at who was involved in uh, saying, go shoot Oswald or Uh, go shoot Kennedy. uh, uh, let, let,
1: Let me put it this way. I'm working on various like I think it's various plausible scenarios uh not plausible I shouldn't even say that but I'm I'm still trying to make my mind up on how wide is this thing you know and how or how narrow it is um but there was a uh uh, got a petition put out four or five years ago signed by an awful lot of the people, the researchers and some of the insiders, uh, stating that there was a conspiracy and thinking that there was an intelligence component in there. Now, intelligence component, is that a few rogue people? Is it the CIA? I don't I don't think the CIA, as an organization, plotted to kill Kennedy, like, you have to keep in mind that uh, McCone, was leading the CIA at the time of the assassination it was in Dulles but uh what I I would prefer at this point not going there because I'm thinking of what I would call persons of interest okay in the the assassination and I do think there's you know you have to look at the assassination as what happened on the ground on that day and then you you'd have a sort of a a a management a middle management level to say okay well who organized this and then the big question was, was it sanctioned? Like, you know, like, was there, was there a signal given? You know, was there something saying, uh, Hey, you know, th- this guy's a big problem. Man. He's a big problem. Uh, you know, can you do something about it? Now, can you do something about it? Could it, that mean uh, embarrass him, get him involved in the scandal? Get him. I don't know. Uh, okay. What that means. So uh, I, I would at this point not want to, uh, I prefer taking my time, and, and I have found some really interesting links that are very difficult to uh, explain, I think. And I'll mention one person, because I've written about in my article, is that I just find that the links between David Attlee Phillips, you're probably aware with that name, right?
0: He was a CIA agent.
1: Well, David Attlee Phillips, yeah. uh, okay, was...
0: Yeah, I think he had. Uh, he was involved in the Mexico... Yeah, Uh, investigation of Oswald.
1: So so Dave Batley Phillips was more of, um, you know, he was involved in the overthrow of Arbenz and uh, the failed Bay of Pigs. And he was part of a cater of CIA people that included people like uh, David Morales and, and uh, what's his name, Uh, William Harvey. Uh, I should have said William Morales, I think. Uh, people that you know knew how to orchestrate regime changes, like they did in Guatemala, which is uh, uh, the removal of Arbenz. So he he used to work in advertising, and he, like Richard Lansdale, was someone who uh, you know would write the perfect cover story for something. So, for instance, Arbenz, oh no, that his removal emanated from. Uh, communist conflict and you know they come up with these scenarios and try and keep everything plausibly denial anyway the reason i bring him up is i show so much proximity between oswald and him on many planes and i'll give you just one
0: yeah i think you call these touch points yeah touch points. right in okay. one of your articles you say david atlee phillips and lee harvey oswald had touch points now that didn't appear to be actually places where they met but it was that they'd been to the same places or had kind of had brushed against the same people or something to that effect well right, right.
1: so uh right so here, here's the thing is i've done an awful lot of research in the fair play for cuba committee now as you know uh oswald when he goes down to new orleans he starts a chapter for the fair play for cuba committee he's the only member uh there are hints that he was in relations with the fair play for cuba committee before when it was before he left dallas actually and he starts this incredible chapter uh where he's eventually seen leafleting in the streets and causes an awful lot of uh okay now i know that you're and i respect your opinion that you know you see him as a genuine communist and all that my take on this is this was pure provocation. And it was a role that he took on. Uh, And I I have a whole article three part article on exposing the Fair Play for Cuba committee in Kennedy's and King. And anyway, for all sorts of reasons, I'll explain why it was just infiltrated with informants, the FPCC at this time, and it was almost on its death knell in the last year Uh, they, they normally would do 25 national meetings a year and this in 63 they were down to three you know so
0: so you believe that lee oswald was one of these infiltrators into this pro cast show marxist group called the fair play for cuba committee
1: his initial role i believe and you know there are hints you know just that he'd asked to meet Warren DeBreeze of the fair play of uh, the FBI after his street fight with Carlos Bringier Anyway, there's all sorts of things in there. And it would take too much time for me to explain, but basically uh, he and the guy near him, the office, uh, Guy Bannister, were on communist witch hunts. Okay, so you would hand out these leaflets, you'd see you sign up, you'd build up names. and And so that would be one way of, You know, identifying communists. The other reason that you would join the Fair Play for Cuba committee uh, in those days is you would want to increase your bona fides to be able to enter Cuba. And a lot of people use that tactic to enter Cuba. You
0: don't think that's why Lee Oswald wanted to start the chapter so that Castro's Cuba would actually recognize him as a supportive activist? Because he did go to Mexico and he did ask to have a a visa to travel to... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the first
1: thing he fronted was his Fair Play for Cuba committee. That's uh,
0: right. And he also wrote the date that he was ready to travel was of every next day. He was ready to go straight to Cuba.
1: But you see, anyway, I, I, I get into it. I, I, I think that that was all a charade and that, uh, you know, I think that there was a, a big operation near the end to link uh, Castro as much as possible with uh, not uh, Oswald with Castro slash agents. There were a lot of false stories that came out.
0: Then why didn't the Warren Commission make a big deal of this? Because they practically ignored it. They
1: didn't didn't study it. They didn't study it. The ones who studied it were uh, Dan Hardway and Lopez. And if you read the Lopez report, the Lopez report is huge. And and, and again, for your your audience, that's Dan Hardway and Lopez saying, okay, well, how come there were no pictures of Oswald entering both the Russian uh, consulate and the Cuban consulates? Because they had cameras. And none of the pictures, uh, the cameras weren't working. That was David Atlee Phillips's excuse because you're right. David Atlee Phillips was in Mexico City. He says the cameras weren't working. Then he was taped at least three times, talking to from the uh, you know calling from the Cuban consulate to the Russian consulate, and those phone calls were taped. And uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Good Pasture, who was uh, Atlee Phillips' assistant, and uh, David Atlee Phillips claimed that those tapes were erased. But they weren't. Because, at least not all of them, because when uh, when uh, what's name, Oswald was questioned after the assassination by FBI agents, the FBI agents had access to those tapes. And they said the voice on the tapes weren't Oswald's voice. And that Hoover is clearly on the record of that, saying that. So, the likelihood is, I don't know if Oswald went to Mexico or not, but for sure there was some impersonation going on. And that's pretty well the conclusion. I'm saying the conclusion of Hardway and Lopez. Well, if you read their report, it's really compelling. Now, um, you're right. I think it's somebody called Lawson or whoever from the Warren Commission who went to try and study Mexico City. And basically, they came out with nothing. I mean, there's basically nothing about Mexico City and the Warren Commission that's of any value.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think it came from President Johnson. You know, they did, he didn't want to start a war with Cuba.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, there's, why did they do that? Okay, A, you can look at two possible reasons. Maybe Johnson in his mind said, hey, you know what? With what happened in Mexico City, if people knew that Oswald was meeting Kostakov who was the head of assassinations for Russia when he went into the Russian embassy, well, you know, this sort of stuff would maybe lead to uh, World War III. And that's how he got uh, Warren to accept. He says, look, we have to avoid a world war here. The other thing that you could say is, well, look, suppose we do find that Oswald was an informant and he did some missions for uh, the FBI as an informant and that he did a mission in Russia or whatever. That's no good either. How do you explain that? You know, that that would be a tough thing to explain to the American people. He's no longer a lone nut. He's someone that, uh, you know, should have been under the radar. How did he even get in the the Texas Cool Book Depository when he was a quasi trader who went to Russia? All that explanation, you know, is is something that that is very difficult to manage. So, I, you know, I think there there was motivation to go the lone nut route. OK, but the problem was, is the genie was out of the bottle because too many people made moves to make Oswald look like he was Castro connected, whether it was the FPCC, whether it was some of David Atlee Phillips's contacts in Mexico City said, hey, we saw him accepting a bribe from Castro agents. And then they say, well, no, that's not true. <laughs> anyway, now you have a radio. Uh, debate, right? Carlos Bringier
0: with uh, Oswald and Bringier in the summer of '63
1: versus uh, Oswald on WSDU, right? And uh, it's organized by Inca. Inca is sort of a, propaga- uh, a propaganda farm, often used by the CIA to you know send messages and use propaganda in Latin American countries, and it's run by Ed Butler. Ed Butler. Knows of David Atlee Phillips. He knows uh, David Atlee Phillips. David Atlee Phillips is connected to AMSANTA. AMSANTA is a project to infiltrate and overturn the Fair Play for Cuba committee. Okay. So he's got his eyes all over the Fair Play for Cuba committee. And of course, Oswald is part of that. So you, you have an Inca connection during that radio debate uh to david Adley phillips you have an fpcc one and who's carlos Bringier? he's running the new orleans uh, chapter of the dre the dre is a cuban student group okay that was organized by david Adley phillips i mean that that right there now that those are you know like i go into 20 touch points but right there You have fingerprints and then you get into the mexico city who's covering up you know that's where oswald supposedly goes and where the pictures are lost of oswald and the tapes are supposedly destroyed and this whole story of oswald being connected to cuban agents and the russian head of assassinations comes out and you have david atlee phillips who's right in that neck of the woods so i would point him out as a person of interest i'll get into it in deeper, more detail, but to me, you know, and look, he was questioned by the HSCA and they wanted to bring him in for perjury because Phillips was, yeah, uh, because they found he was lying his head off. You know, I mean, I know it's a bit sketchy, right? And you you know, if I was in, uh, if if we, we could debate longer, but these are the things that have shaped my opinions. I, I really try and get away from the Madeline Browns of this world and the the Judith Barry Bakers and the uh,
0: Good for that you. crowd.
1: I don't I don't buy into that. I mean, you know, every time you read their story, it gets embellished. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's um, you know I talked about Jack Ruby. There's many other points there. I think that uh, the proof of a front shot is overwhelming.
0: But we've certainly covered many of the elements that convinced you. That there was a conspiracy, that Lee Oswald may have been part of it, but not necessarily the shooter. If if I understood you well, I,
1: I tend to think he wasn't. Uh, that he was set up as a patsy. You know, Dick Russell, who uh, wrote a good book. You know, talks about some witnesses that show that he was interacting with uh, Cubans, uh, exiles of interest that were part of the bigger story. You know, Alpha Sixty Six members and all that. So. He's a complicated fellow, this uh, Oswald.
0: Because I should point out that you brought up Blakey several times, but Blakey's conclusion, and I do remember hearing him in an interview, as well as we could say that the, 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 the conclusions of the HSCA do represent to a great extent what Blakey believed, is that both Blakey himself and the HSCA concluded that Oswald had to be the person who took the shots that injured and killed Kennedy. Perhaps he was involved with another group, but the HSCA while they said there was a probable conspiracy they definitely made Oswald a central part of the the assassination yeah. so that's why people like Jim Garrison have often said that Oswald was a complete patsy not involved uh never shot at anybody uh but you're not certain there are you
1: No I I tend to think he he uh he didn't shoot okay cuz I I have a lot of trouble you know with the logistics of him going from the 6th floor to the 2nd but uh look I could be wrong on that. Um, it doesn't change, in my view, the opinion that you know there was uh, more than than one shooter that day, and that uh, you know that there are more people involved. Uh, I didn't get into the prior plots discussion, but uh, I, the whole argument there is that there seems to have been a, a template, uh, you know, um, involved, uh, and not just one. One, I think, there are contingency plans, but. Uh, you know, but uh, that's definitely, uh, you know, that's where I stand. But, you know, if someone said, hey, you know what? Um, here's a reason. Uh, I remember one guy showing me uh, a piece of thread that was connected to the Mannlicher Carcano. Just a little piece of thread, a picture. That it, it's claimed that that links to his clothing
0: to the i think it was a blanket wasn't it a blanket in the garage of ruth payne that showed that the rifle definitely had to come uh, that's what i think the dallas police said when they found these um i mean we may not be talking about the same thing but they they had found some um uh some threads of, of clothing yeah
1: yeah uh, so sometimes you know uh you know you get into was there something planted or did they make the evidence work for them or or that you know but i again i i tend to think that he didn't shoot but there's some uh, there's some evidence you know that that points towards him it's hard to know it's hard to know for sure uh so that's that's where i stand but I, I certainly don't think jack ruby was just a disgruntled guy who came in and wanted to spare jackie kennedy the ordeal of a trial and that's his motive okay
0: so for you jack ruby is one of those smoking guns if we wish that suggests there was more than just one man killing Kennedy.
1: Oh, yeah. And I you know, and I, I, I think that uh, I have about 10 smoking guns. Okay. I We went over two or three of them today.
0: Yeah, you have a list. I can just point out that on one of your articles, I think you call them chokeholds. So I, I'll make a link to that. I think the article is called The Three Failed Plots to Kill JFK. That's where I got that. So I'll also put that on the list.
1: By the way, that one, too, is being totally updated because it started off as a three-fail, but it ended up becoming a two- or three-parter, and it will be called, instead of failed plots, it will be called similar case analysis.
0: What I'll do is I'll just send a link to the, the page that has all of your articles, and then people can just select which ones they want to look at. I have some quick questions. Now, there's some subjects that I would have loved to talk with you about, but they probably would have taken a long time. Part of it was your argument about how your experience with the tobacco industry made you believe that uh, the same kind of disinformation happens uh, by governments and, and, and history textbooks. I don't have time to get into that details, but your articles are there and I can send people uh, to them. Um so I'll just start uh, some some very quick questions, and they're more specific about you. Uh, when did you first become interested in the Kennedy assassination?
1: The first book I read, Michelle, was Crossfire uh, by my, uh, Jim Mars. I found it a wonderful book for its time because what Jim did in there is he he kind of laid out information without and let us come to conclusions. So uh, that was the first book. Uh, then I went into a. I read uh Double Cross, which which wasn't the, but it was an interesting book to know a little bit more about Jan uh, Kana. But it wasn't a compelling book. And then, what happened is after the JFK movie, I read uh, JFK and the Unforgivable, uh, unspeakable, unspeakable, Douglas by uh, Jim Douglas, and I found that to be a really well written book. You know, not not and and really fun because it went into well, here's why you know uh, we think he was assassinated. Then, uh, so that sort of now, the year I wrote Red uh, Crossfire, I don't remember, but I, I would say the intensive research uh, became more and more intense after uh, JFK, because honestly, I didn't know much about So just like me, the, the Oliver
0: Stone movie is kind yeah. of what triggered your imagination. Yeah. Okay, let me move yeah. on. Uh, yeah. Now, I don't know how old you are. I don't think you're that old, but do you remember the Kennedy assassination?
1: Yeah, I do. I'll tell you what, I was six. And I was pissed as hell because, oh, yeah. And that had nothing to do with the loss of a president. I couldn't see my cartoons anymore because they (laughs) they covered the bloody, uh, they covered the assassination uh, funeral uh, coast to coast. And we only had three stations at the time. We didn't have cable. So when the hell could I see Mickey Mouse?
0: So you were angry at Kennedy for getting killed because it, it canceled mickey.
1: And then I said, "Dad, can you get this friggin' boring parade off and put on Mickey Mouse." You know, and all that. But, so that's what I remember of uh, the JTS. Oh, uh,
0: but that you didn't you didn't think of any conspiracies at that time. Was it a conspiracy to to kill Mickey Mouse? I thought it was a
1: conspiracy to keep kids away from cartoons. Okay.
0: Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe it was the military industrial anti-cartoon complex. <laughs> yeah well you know they're trying to gag Hollywood <laughs> Yeah, you know a lot of conspiracy authors um, sometimes delve into alternate possible futures in other words they say if Kennedy had not died this this world would be different because X now do you ever think that if Kennedy had survived something would be very different about the world today
1: yeah I, I definitely do I think that uh, first of all I do think, I don't I'm now convinced that Kennedy would have not intensified uh, the war in uh, Vietnam the way Johnson did. uh, That I'm convinced of, and it has to do with the National Security Memorandums and speeches. I think he was scared out of his wits after the missile crisis in 1962. Anybody who must have gone through those, what is it, nine or uh, thirteen days, I forget yeah, what it was, days. but the thirteen days uh you know you think that you're this close to Armageddon you know and it, it, it just you know, and I'm looking at what's happening now you know so i I do think that he was ahead of his time uh I think he did touch a lot of taboos, you know, civil rights uh, uh you know that this the the incredible thing eh, is. The Republicans were the the party that stopped slavery, and they, they controlled the North. And then after Kennedy comes in and, you know, uh, stops segregation, the country flips. The Democrats start controlling the North, and the Republicans start controlling the South. You know, if you look at the votes yeah, and the, yeah. the popularity. It's
0: an interesting switch. Uh, yeah.
1: so, so that's a really... Uh, major, major, you know, like, I mean, that was risky, you know, uh, to, to, to to take on some of the things he did. There's a lady, good God, she wrote a great book. She spoke at Kappa, and she talked about his policies regarding uh, pesticides, and uh, the environment, and things that I just didn't know about. And he seemed to be one of the presidents who didn't have his hands tied as much, you know, as like I find the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, uh, I think if a Trump did get in, it has an awful lot to do with dissatisfaction with the menu, right? Like you'd say, hey, we're going from Democrat to Republican, but what's changing? Are gun laws changing? Or is the environment changing? Is this changing? Nothing. So uh, I think. Uh, there's, there's a, uh, you know, and I think, you know, if you if you looked, there was a danger, eh, of a, I think a Kennedy dynasty too, because a lot of people feared that Kennedy would be in for eight years instead of three, and then maybe Bobby, and then Edward, you know, so, uh, so I think uh, the Cold War intensified, and didn't like. Uh, Uh, Kennedy was, you know, talking about a space race where the Russians and Americans would cooperate. And he would talk about the Russians having, you know, spilled blood during World War II and lost 20 million people. So, you know, he was there was sort of an outreach between uh, Khrushchev and and, uh, Kennedy. And I think both of them got removed. And, it, you know, it didn't sit well with some of the closer advisors. So.
0: But you don't think that um, uh, Kennedy was uh, an ardent supporter of the, uh, the domino theory, that he had to make sure communism didn't spread to South Vietnam and other places? Uh, he certainly spoke uh, very hard against Cuba. I don't think he was trying to make peace with Castro in any way. So it seemed to me there could have been a different kind of Cold War, but there would still have been a Cold War
1: my thoughts on that uh first of all he wasn't pro-communist he was not pro-communist he didn't like communists but uh definitely you you don't get elected president if you talk softly about opponents uh, today or you know or, or back then so you know there's a lot of hard talk but again I think there there was a major shift in his thinking after the missile crisis for sure and he, here's what I think uh, You know, I I, I it was Eisenhower who talked about the domino effect uh the first time and if you look at everything Kennedy ever said he drove some of his allies crazy because he was anti-imperialism so he spoke against the colonies in the algiers he 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 you know uh, the Vietnam being a colony of France and that didn't sit well with his British friends or his uh, French friends okay uh, so uh he had messages, you know, he was really pro, uh, you know, uh, trying to help Indonesia and Lumumba. When Lumumba got assassinated, you, you know, he he was dejected when that happened. So I, I think, and the last things that were happening, you have to remember, in the last months before his assassination, is he had uh, couriers between him and Castro. One was Lisa Howard, the other one was Jean Daniel, and they were you know, uh, talking about, okay, what kind of arrangements can we make, you know, so there seemed to be a will. uh, But, you know, he had to play with the cards he had, because he had on the other side, advisors like Curtis LeMay and Lemnitzer, who were just breathing down his neck and telling him, hey, you know, you better press the nuclear button before the Russians do. Because if you don't, they'll strike first, you know, so that's what he had to put up with. And, and, uh, you know, and they wanted to invade Cuba. And they wanted to invade uh, Vietnam. He, uh, he, he also was stunned by the failure of the, the, uh, the Bay of Pigs. I mean, that, that, that ridiculed him worldwide, right? He, he looked like a fool in his eyes because of that failure and that the Americans were behind that. And, he, you know, he's so, my God. You know, and then it's at that point, he I think he felt he was being taken for a ride by the CIA and uh, and others. So, uh, you know, he didn't have many friends in the, uh, you know, in even within the United States, too. There are a lot of people did not like his, his policies. Okay.
0: Okay. Next question. Uh, the, now, this is the toughest question I'm probably going to ask. And I know that I'm asking you to ask, answer it very briefly. But... You're a, you're a teacher in a, a, um, a college, a place of higher education, and this is something we encourage our students to do. What kind of evidence would it take to convince you that Lee Oswald did kill Kennedy alone? Is there anything that might make you change your mind? I'm not asking you to give up your beliefs. I'm saying, what is the point that you kind of stumble on or are least certain about?
1: That that Lee Harvey Oswald alone... You see, the key thing is alone. Yeah. Alone. Because
0: you're willing to believe that Oswald was involved. But I'm saying, if there was no conspiracy, if Oswald was not part of a conspiracy, is that still in any way possible to you? If, if it's in the realm of the possible, what evidence would convince you uh, that this is the case?
1: You know, it, it, proving a negative is... It's tough. Yeah, it uh, is. It is. It is tough. Uh, but ah, god, you know, like think of the things that I'm talking about, Jack Ruby as uh, persona in my point of view. Then I I believe you know, there's whether it's splatter analysis, the uh witness testimony the uh, exit wound in the back of the head the you know i I just don't see how a front shot didn't take place you see these are all the you know you take the chokeholds the 10 chokeholds you'd have to demolish them uh, you know uh, demolish 10 because if only one if only one you know the second i say you know what i'm convinced oswald was impersonated in mexico city what would a no-name happen you, to be, you know, be, be being per, impersonated in Mexico City? Then if I'm telling you, I say, well, look, Jack Ruby, are you telling me that with well, all his mob connections and, and you know, his easy entrance to the basement and all that, that there, that wasn't a hit? It was just, you know, so if I take the choco, you know, you'd have to almost reverse all 10 chocos because the choco, a choke, a chokehold. Okay. But...
0: No, I get that. That makes sense. So you have 11 good reasons to say this is what I need to be disproven in order to uh, sympathize with the other possibility.
1: Yeah. And, and look, I, I...
0: are you throwing me a challenge? Because what if what if I can actually you, write you an article that says here here are the things that I disagree with? Uh, would you be open for that kind of dialogue? Not necessarily. Oh, I'd be I'd, be, look, I'd be
1: open to hearing, uh, hearing it. You know, and what it might do is, it might say, well, you know, out of the hundred or so insiders who said this, Michelle has convinced me that there's thirty three of them that I shouldn't take seriously. <laughs> but I'm still stuck with <laughs> sixty. You know, like
0: that means we may have the beginnings of a debate here. There could be kind of a, a Champlain Champlain uh, discussion about these eleven points and how we should interpret them. I don't know if Sejab students would be interested.
1: Well, look, here. Here, here, here here's what. I'm working on something. I, I will not debate this at all until I've finished a project that's going to take a number of months because I'm updating yeah. my articles. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, last, actually there's two questions left, but the main one here, uh, the last one that's written down is, uh, what is the best thing about living in Quebec City?
1: Quebec City, I'll tell you one thing. I have a cottage that's in the north of the city, just north of Lake Beaupont. It takes me 35 minutes to get there by car. And uh, there's a a point where I have no electricity. You know, there's a cutoff, no electricity, no running water. I go get my water from a well. And there's so much hiking that I can do where you can bump into a moose, a fox, or whatever. And that's literally, so you get the best of the old uh, North America right in town with the beautiful old city and then you've got wilderness so you know if you're a European boy what a nice choice yeah so uh, I, I love Quebec City I did live in Montreal and I did my MBA at McGill and I I love Montreal too you know like uh, I had there's so much character and uh, you know and uh, but um I would have said the traffic jams uh, are much smaller here but we're seeing more and more Montreal-style traffic jams. That's, that's not the, the best part of our city right now.
0: All right, Paul, I have one last question for you. I don't know what it is because it's in this little thing called the question jar. Are you game to answer the question jar? Sure. Okay, let's see what we got here. The question Sometimes jar. These like... are a little, yeah, that's our little thing we do on the show here. Uh, what is your favorite flavor of chunky soup?
1: I don't eat chunky soup. You don't.
0: They're amazing. Are they? It's a whole meal in a can. Yeah. Isn't it a bit salty, though? I don't know. Yeah, it's salty. They're, but I think they have reduced salt versions. or Canada's Oh, do they? Makes, like, okay. Uh, well,
1: I'll, I'll put that on my list. Then. Okay. If I'm back on your show, I will answer that question. Okay.
0: That's great. That's great. Uh, I do have uh, just quick, quick, quick two awards. I always like to give awards to my speakers. The first is a Lady Bing Memorial Trophy. Are you a hockey fan? Yeah. You might know that the Lady Bing Trophy is given for good sportsmanship. So uh, because you and I are able to chat about this without coming to fists, uh, then I, I'm giving you the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy for being a good sport for coming on this uh, podcast that may uh, you may have thought was hostile, uh, possibly because what some of your, uh, your colleagues have said about me. Uh, the second award is the one I give to all my speakers, and that is you are now an initiate in our not-so-secret, secret society. So we have something called the... The accepted and ancient order of speculative haberdashery, or the knitters. You know, there are the Freemasons, we're the knitters. So you'll have your name on our website. You're now famous on the do internet. Do I get a plaque? Uh no, you get a secret handshake though. Damn.
1: So, uh... The only <laughs> plaque I ever had is on my teeth. So.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, we can we could put a picture of your teeth on the on the website if you want. But. I'm no, not you sure don't want to do good. that. Okay. No, no.
1: It you'll have fewer followers.
0: Well, it's great to talk to you Paul. Let's let's keep in Thanks, touch. Michelle. And uh let's agree uh, to bring our friends uh, not to fight each other.
1: Thank you. Uh you showed that I think you it's fun to talk to someone who, you know, I don't have to explain every name. You seem to know them really well and I hope um uh, I hope at least one thing is that the idea that I'm trying to say is there you know there are a lot of cranks eh, in both sides of the debate but there are a lot of people who i think genuinely seriously research it and have come to conclusions that are different not because they're cranky not because they're conspiracy theorists and believe in conspiracies all over the place i certainly don't and the people i work with don't okay uh generally uh jim mars in quite a few weird conspiracies I have to say though but <laughs> there's um, a lot of
0: UFOs and stuff in his uh, books oh
1: but he said there was stuff going on under the pyramids that uh, <laughs> would but he never thank god I don't
0: he sold a lot of books he sold a lot of books
1: anyway of- but here here's the things I hope that came out and uh, you know I, I the only thing I would suggest to your students is read you know explore don't trust uh, Michelle or myself on this thing Uh. uh you know, try and also figure out what is uh, hyperbole and propaganda versus what is uh, factual and, and and come up with your own opinions on it. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, there, there's sometimes, as you say, there's a gray area and this is a very gray part of history. And uh, I'm not sure that we'll ever figure out 100 percent what happened we may not agree
0: but we can always have a beer whether it's in person or hypothetically
1: depends what it depends what beer they serve but thank you so much
0: take care bye-bye great take care now we're going to fight about beer and that is the end of episode 7.4 of the paranoid planet podcast it was brought to you by the letter b a murder mystery board game Jimmy the Cat, a Chunky Soup, I personally recommend the Chicken and Sausage Gumbo, and a couple dozen dead goats who graciously gave up their lives for the advancement of ballistic science. Please help us make the world a little bit saner by sponsoring our show with monthly micropayments, by leaving us a 5-star rating and a review, by sharing it with your friends, and by downloading every episode as many times as you believe bullets were fired at Kennedy. Which, for some of you, may be quite a lot. And don't forget to visit our website at www.paranoidplanet.ca where you can find blog essays, links to other related documents, excerpts from my book Thinking Critically About the Kennedy Assassination, as well as a 20% rebate if you order a copy directly from the publisher. On behalf of Joan Lijo, this is Michel Gagné saying Don't forget to triple-check your notes the next time you're watching a hastily conducted autopsy. Unless, of course, you want another 60 years of wild goose chases. This was a Burden of Proof media production. We'll see you next time. Unless you're dead!
1: about conspiracies, paradigm
0: shifts, and critical thinking.